brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. I thought it would be good to remind us of what pious popes actually sound like. And I don't just mean pious because that's the name of the pope who I'm featuring now, but pious as in possessing a great much personal piety. Once upon a time, popes were, well, they got right to the point with their writings. So I have a very, very short papal encyclical for you. It's more like an apostolic bull or a mode proprio, but it's not an encyclical per se. But it's a short piece by Pope Pius V, promulgated in 1569, the year before Quo Primum. And it's simply a call to prayer. Consuere Verunt Romani by Pope Pius V. The Roman pontiffs and other holy fathers, our predecessors, when they were pressed in upon by temporal or spiritual wars or troubled by other afflictions, in order that they might more easily escape from these and, having achieved tranquility, might quietly and fervently be free to devote themselves to God, were wont to implore the divine assistance through supplications or litanies to call forth the support of the saints, and with David to lift up their eyes unto the mountains trusting with firm hope that thence would they receive aid. Prompted by their example, and as is piously believed by the Holy Ghost, the inspired blessed founder of the Order of Friars Preachers, whose institutes and rule we ourselves expressly professed when we were in minor orders, in circumstances similar to those in which we now find ourselves, when parts of France and Italy were unhappily troubled by the heresy of the Albigenses, which blinded so many of the worldly that they were raging most savagely against the priests of the Lord and the clergy, raised his eyes up unto heaven, unto that mountain of the blessed, blessed of the glorious Virgin Mary, loving Mother of God, for she by her seed has crushed the head of the twisted serpent, and has alone destroyed all heresies, and by the blessed fruit of her womb has saved a world condemned by the fall of our first parent. From her, without human hand, was that stone cut, which, struck by wood, poured forth the abundantly flowing waters of graces. And so Dominic looked to that simple way of praying and beseeching God, accessible to all and holy pious, which is called the Rosary, or Psalter of the Blessed Virgin Mary, in which the same Most Blessed Virgin is venerated by the angelic greeting repeated 150 times, that is, according to the number of the Davidic Psalter, by the Lord's Prayer with each decade. Imposed with these prayers are certain meditations, showing forth the entire life of our Lord Jesus Christ, thus completing the method of prayer devised by the fathers of the Holy Roman Church. This same method St. Dominic propagated, and it was spread by the Dominican friars of Blessed Dominic, namely of the aforementioned order, and accepted by not a few of the people. Christ's faithful, inflamed by these prayers, began immediately to be changed into new men, the darkness of heresy began to be dispelled, and the light of the Catholic faith to be revealed. Sodalities for this form of prayer began to be instituted in many places by the friars of the same order. Legitimately deputed to this work by their superiors and confrères began to be enrolled together. Following the example of our predecessors, seeing that the church militant which God has placed in our hands in these our times is tossed this way and that by so many heresies and is grievously troubled, and afflicted by so many wars and by the depraved morals of men, we also raise our eyes, weeping, 
but full of hope, unto that same mountain, whence every aid comes forth, and we encourage and admonish each member of Christ's faithful to do likewise in the Lord. Given at Rome as St. Peter's under the fisherman's ring, 17th of September, 1569, in the fourth year of our pontificate, Pope St. Pius V. And so I repeat the call again for prayer, as St. Pius V did in that short exhortation. And I have another short exhortation, this one from one of his successors, Pope Clement XIII, who reigned 200 years after Pius V did. He wrote what I, another short thing that I'm about to bring to you on the spiritual advantages of fasting. Remember, our Lord said that much of the woes of the world can only be addressed through prayer and fasting. So, bear that in mind as you hear this. Appetente Sacro, on the spiritual advantages in fasting, by Pope Clement XIII in 1759. To the venerable brothers, the patriarchs, primates, archbishops, and bishops, venerable brothers, greetings, and the apostolic blessing. The holy season of Lent approaches, which is full of mysteries, but not without mystery. It precedes that great celebration of Easter, by which alone the dignity of all other religious occasions is consecrated. Venerable brothers, you should see that the faithful religiously observe this holy fast, which was recommended by the testimony of the laws and the prophets, consecrated by the Lord Jesus Christ, and handed on by the apostles. The Catholic Church has always preserved it so that by the mortification of the flesh and the humiliation of the spirit, we might be better prepared to approach the mysteries of the Lord's Passion and the Paschal Sacraments. Likewise, through fasting, we might rise again in the resurrection of him whose passion and death we joined after we put off the old man. Our predecessor, Benedict XIV, aroused with you with two earlier briefs that you might zealously preserve such a holy and salutary institution. Your work and zeal should recall the discipline of the Lenten fast, now weakened by many corruptions to its original observance. For this reason, Benedict Fourteenth removed from your midst many quibblings with impaired fasting. However, as there are many persistent threats to the Lord's flock from the foul and dangerous enemy of the human race, we should be wary lest the sly old fox add new calculations and twisted customs to the mind of the weaker faithful. These things will weaken the strength of the fast and make it sink back to that point from which it was recently recalled. We think it necessary to send you this letter to show your brotherhood how fearful we are that the old corruption might remain or that a new stain might come upon ecclesiastic discipline in this matter, with the resulting destruction of the souls of the faithful. We understand that it is just as necessary to lessen this fear of ours as it is to increase your pastoral vigilance by it. After our predecessor's letters, it perhaps remains for you to eradicate, with God's help, anything pertaining to the old or new corruption for breaking the laws of the fast, or the fabrication of opinions, or the customs which shy away from the true power and nature of the fast. Among these we number that misuse which rumor has brought to us. While many people were permitted by dispensation to eat meat for just and legitimate reasons, they thought it was also permitted to consume drinks mixed with milk, contrary to what our predecessor thought was right. He was of the opinion that those who were permitted by dispensation to have meat, as well as those who were fasting in any way, with one mixture accepted, were comp comparable to those who had no dispensation. Accordingly, they can have meat, or whatever originates from meat, in only one mixture. You will begin most appropriately, and with hope of the greatest profit, to crawl men to the observance of the holy law of fasting. If you teach people this, penance for the Christian man is not satisfied 
by withdrawing from sin, by detesting a past life badly lived, or by the sacramental confession of the same sins. Rather, penance also demands that we satisfy divine justice with fasting, almsgiving, prayer, and other works of the spiritual life. Every wrongdoing, be it large or small, is fittingly punished, either by the penitent or by a vengeful God. Therefore, we cannot avoid God's punishment in any other way than by punishing ourselves. If this teaching is constantly implanted in the minds of the faithful, and if they drink deeply of it, there will be very little cause to fear that those who have discarded their degraded habits and washed their sins clean through sacramental confession would not want to expiate the same sins through fasting, to eliminate the concupiscence of the flesh. Besides, consider the man who is convinced that he repents of his sins more firmly when he to does not allow himself to go unpunished. That man, already consumed with the love of penance, will rejoice during the season of Lent and on certain other days when the church declares that the faithful should fast and gives them the opportunity to bring forth worthy fruits of penance. After all, it is always necessary to subdue concupiscence, for it is written, Do not follow behind your desires, and do not turn away from your will. Let the faithful easily turn their attention during this most holy time of year to lessening the intemperance of the body by fasting. In this way, souls might understand how it should prepare itself to recall the holy mysteries of the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, those who are spurred on by penance do not seek the delicacies of the table, which seem indistinguishable from forbidden foods, even with abstinence. However, one can rightly say that whoever sets them on his table does not do so much put aside his customary delicacies as give his appetites over to unusual enticements. Finally, those spurred on by penance do not seek escapes by which they might withdraw from fasting, nor do they seek various subtleties to break ecclesiastical law. It is your duty, venerable brothers, to inspire enthusiasm and love of penance and the faithful by word and example. Thus they will approach the, mo the fast more quickly, observe it according to the laws prescribed by the Catholic Church, and sanctify it through almsgiving and prayer. Finally, and this matter greatly concerns the Church, they should understand that they have died and been buried with Christ. They have been called to the new life of the new man in the Paschal Feast, so that they can come to the risen Lord Jesus Christ in full confidence. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you, to whom we most lovingly impart the apostolic blessing, as a pledge of our love and goodwill toward you. Given in Rome, St. Mary Major, on the 20th day of December, in the year 1759, in the second year of our pontificate, Pope Clement Thirteenth. So yes, we must pray and we must fast. Seems like this is the best time for us to be doing this, given all the news in this past week, or past two weeks rather now, since Francis decided to suppress the Latin Mass. So please pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.